We're in Hebrews chapter 5. Let's pray. Father, you say your word is powerful. It's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. Well, I hope you don't think it wrong, but I would have you show us that this morning, demonstrate it. And I'm not putting you to some test. I'm, I, I know more than that. But Lord, you say this is what your word is, and we would have you operate on us this morning, as it were, and, and say the things, Lord, speak into our heart the things that need to be spoken. And Lord, be glorified in the whole, in the, in the whole outworking of your word and its effect in our life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, we did the first 10 verses, if I remember correctly, last week. And so I'm just going to read them because none of this is kind of in a vacuum. It's all the ideas that are built one on another. Um, this is one of the few books. If I, you know, a lot of times when you, if you were dividing, parsing up a book, you would generally do it the same way that they did it back hundreds of years ago. You've got to remember when this was written, it was a letter. It didn't have chapters and it didn't have verses. It was just one word after another word after another. And, but, you know, the Bible kind of has like these paragraphs, like, like you and I would write a letter or write an email, you know, new paragraph, you indent or you skip space, and so you have like a group of words here and a group of words here. The Bible kind of does that. In the Hebrews, it doesn't do it to my satisfaction where the chapters end. So we're kind of like, you know, going through chapters in a natural place to stop, usually at the end of a chapter, but not here. It just doesn't seem that way in my thinking. But that's just my thinking. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 5 again, just to kind of springboard into where we're going so you don't ju I just don't start in the middle of things talking about Melchizedek and everyone's going, what are you on? What on earth? What is he on about now? You know? So we'll kind of get a running start at this. Back in verse 1, Every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertain to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for, he, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when, the time for, when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of us have 
uh, reason of use, I mean, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Um, so remember that what, and you got to, let me get my thoughts together. You've got to understand Hebrews and the way it was written. Writing to people who have turned to Christianity, have turned to Christ, have been born again, and now they're at a crossroads because of persecution, because of pushback, because of family turmoil, uh, are saying, uh, you know, I think it was easier back in the old, the way it used to be. I run the Christians today, and you say, how can somebody think that? Because our memories flawed. We think of the good old days. I'm not sure there ever were good old days. I, I remember in my childhood, I was more carefree because I was stupid and I didn't know anything and I didn't have any responsibilities. And there were certainly times in America that were more open to the gospel, more agreeable to you know, now it's open seasons on Christians. You, you dare not hardly stick your head out of the foxhole. But we must, and we do. Uh, but it's, 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 it's not, we're not in a culture that's favorable to the things of Christ anymore. So in that way, there is a good old days. But what I'm thinking about is like, so they came out of Egypt, the children of Israel, two, three million strong. And so they run into some situations. Oh, it was better when we were back in Egypt. Oh, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. All my favorites, by the way. Uh, It's like, wait a second. What about brick making? Did you forget that? Did you forget the the, the whip on your back at, at random when a taskmaster would just start whipping somebody for no reason at all? Do you remember when Moses came and he said, hey, uh, you know, let my people go. And then they made it more hard where you had to make the same amount of bricks, but they wouldn't supply the straw. Do you remember that? Um, hey, does anyone remember drowning your infant sons in the Nile? That would kind of be something that would leave a psychological scar. Does anyone remember that? Oh, the leeks, the onions. So we have this scary recollection of things and we kind of paint them up happier and more friendly than, you know, we do this in death all the time. We can wish somebody dead. We can't stand them so much. I'm not suggesting that we ever do that. But then after they die, oh, oh, as we lament in sackcloth and ashes, heaven's the richer, earth is the poorer for the passing of this dear one who in life wasn't so dear. Uh, we, 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 our memories don't work quite exactly the way they... So here we have Christians, they come out of Judaism, and is Judaism a tough sell? It would be for me. You sacrifice animals when you sin. I, I, I've never done that. I'm not a squeamish person. Go and moose hunt next week, okay? Blood and guts, that's not the issue. The issue is like a little lamb. And I take, drag to the priest. By the way, the priest looks at the lamb. Does he look at me? (laughs) No. He's not looking at me to see no flaws. He's looking at the lamb. The fact that I'm flawed individual is a foregone conclusion. That's why I'm dragging a lamb off to the priest to sacrifice. So he looks at the lamb and he sees a lamb without spot or blemish, which is a picture of our dear Savior. Now, what happens if you guys haven't been Levitical with me on Sunday nights, you place your hand on the, 
on the head of the lamb. You're transferring your sins onto the lamb. What happens next? Well, the priest guiding your hand, you have the knife, uh, and you slit the throat of the lamb. I'm sorry this is graphic, isn't it? Invest yourself emotionally in this. And then you feel the lamb shudder, gurgle, trying to breathe blood in and everything else. And then slowly, the not slowly, the pumping of the blood, they're trying to catch the blood in a bowl that would be squirting all over the place as the lamb slowly gives up its life. How do you feel about your sin now? And you want to go back to that? Well, but, but, you know, they would make a persuasive argument. Look, we have the priesthood. We have the temple. We have the feast days. We have the baptisms, the ablutions, the washings. Uh, what, what, what are you thinking? Uh, the, 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 the Lord came from uh, Mount Sinai. Angels delivered it. And you remember all of the things that the writer here is addressing. And he's constantly telling people, don't go back. There is no back. That's not really an option that's open to us. It is, actually, it is an option, and it's one that many Christians select. Uh, born again, loving the Lord, serving the Lord, singing His praise, and next minute right back with the world so much so that you could never tell the difference if they were ever born again or not. Have they lost their salvation? Well, you can wrestle with that all you want. Okay? Uh, come up and argue with me. I know the verses that I will use to show you. I don't think that's so. And you will show me your verses. You know, make it fun. I'll use your verses this time. You use my verse. I mean, this is well-traveled ground. We talk about it all the time. Uh, should you worry about losing your salvation? I'm just going to say this, and we're going to talk about that this morning. We'll get into chapter 6. I don't worry about losing mine. Okay? Should you worry? <laughs> Whatever. I don't worry about losing my salvation in this. It's based on eternal things, the character and the promises of God. I did nothing to get myself saved except believe. Uh, so a lot of people think, well, sin will get you out of salvation. Mm, my Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And it also says, like, you know, my ability to believe seems to be a, a God thing as well. Will I get a, some, sometime, will I get a lobotomy and not believe? I, I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't know how that works. All right? And I know, as well as you know, there's people who seem to have been among us, seem to have been one of us, and they don't look like they're one of us now. What is that all about? Well, in John we read, those who went out from among us, they were never of us. And they went out from among us, that it may be obvious that they were never of us. And so to, to me, that seems to, you know, just because they came and they lifted their hands and they worshiped God, does that mean they were saved? I went to church all my life until I was 20 and not, not saved. And I, but I looked like a Christian and probably people would call me that. It just wasn't so. And then when I left the faith, you know, I, you guys know I was Catholic. When I left the faith, they, they think I've rebelled, that I've gone into sin, that I've gone into rebellion. Perspective is a funny thing, isn't it? Well, he's talking to the, these Hebrew Christians. Don't go back. Don't go back. Stay the course. Uh, well, what about the priesthood? And he answers that. Every high priest taken from among men, right? And, 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 he, and he's talking about that. And he's going to... Because here they think, say, hey, there's a priesthood. What, what do you think God ordained all them people for? For nothing? And he says, he says oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I get it. I get it. We have a high priest. By the way, we're kings and priests. We have a priesthood too. It's not ironic. 
uh, our high priest is a high priest. And people say, he's not even of the right tribe. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not Levitical at all. How can Jesus be a priest? It's a good question. He's not a priest in the Aaronic priesthood. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he, he exploits that. He, the, the, the author here, he says that. He's, uh, one, he talks about, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek in verse 6 who in the days of his flesh when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. Is that talking about Melchizedek? No, because in chapter 7 we're going to realize, at least rhetorically, that Melchizedek never died. It's talking about the Son of God here who uh, offered up strong prayers and supplications. When was that? In the Garden of Gethsemane, among other places. Uh, he cried from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here, he's, he's talking about those prayers... He offered to God who was able to save him from death. Did God save him from death? No. Isn't that interesting? His God, the Son, praying to God the Father, deliver me. And God the Father says, nope. It's not. We're all kind of glad he answered that prayer because therein is our salvation. The wages of sin is death. The plan from before the foundation of the world that the Son of God came into the world and died for us. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto them that obey him. That's incredible verses. I mean, these are incredible verses. Jesus learned. He learned. Yet though he were a son, yet he learned. Yeah, in his humanity, he learned. And by, uh, he, by the things which he suffered. And he was made perfect. Wait a second, you're talking about God being made perfect? Mature, uh, full, where he's supposed to be. And yeah, he, he did that in his humanity. He, he learned things and he, he, he got to that place where God wanted him to be, where God the Father wanted him to be. And in so doing, he's the author of eternal salvation of all them that obey him. Imagine if Jesus was self-willed. I ain't cross. I ain't no cross. Listen, all he had to do when he was arrested to say the, what they wanted him to say. Are you, are you the, the, the Christ, they asked him. Are you the, are you the Son of God? Are you, they asked him many things. It, it kind of in King James, uh, that's what you say, is kind of like, it sounds evasive. He's saying it's as you say. And he answers very, obviously, in the affirmative, because they go on and rip their clothes and act all crazy. Oh, you've heard the blasphemy. What... You know, all he had to say is, I never said I was God. Or, what, or anything to that effect. They roughed him up and let him go. And they always said, no sense following that guy. He's obviously not the Messiah. But he didn't. He, he went through the whole process. He wasn't self-willed. He did what he had to do in order to save us. And that's a wonderful verse. He's called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Again, you know enough Hebrew there. Zedek means righteousness. Melchi, priest. I mean king. He's the king of righteousness, okay? So we have this character in the Old Testament, the king of righteousness, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. I'd like to talk to you about that, but you're not ready. Have you ever experienced that with somebody? Um, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus or insult anyone, but I experienced that kind of frequently. 
You have, because you know, there's some things you can talk about, like, you know, I talk about the Bible's the word of God. That presupposes there is a God and that he speaks. And some people aren't ready for those two factoids yet. So never mind, you know, the Bible being the word of God, because they don't even believe conceptually that there is a God. Or if there was, is, you know, the eternal clockmaker, you know, he kind of wound us all up and now he's the absentee landlord. You've heard all the arguments, right? And he's not really dealing with us or anything like that. He has really nothing to say to us. So we have to first show them that there is a God, and two, that he, has, he, he, he very much has things to say to us. And now we introduce the Bible as the Word of God. Have you been there? But you, you can't tell somebody about this concept because it builds on this concept and this concept and this concept that they're not ready for yet. And he's saying that, uh, you know, you ought to be able to grasp this, but you're dull of hearing. It doesn't mean stupid. It means lazy. <laughs> now, again, not trying to throw anyone under the bus. I want to challenge you. You're lazy. And by the way, I like to challenge. I like to challenge myself. Sometimes the Word of God comforts. Sometimes it strengthens. Sometimes it challenges. I don't serve it up just one size fits all because it does, you know, depending on what the verse is, what, the, what, the, what God's trying to tell us, sometimes it makes you feel kind of lousy about yourself. That's why I know it's not man, written by men. Sometimes it makes you feel like God is, is, is very comforting. It's very, it's very it's like, it feels like you just walked into a hug like God is at work, his arms around you, he's holding you close to his breast. You felt that, you know that. Now, uh, some pastors just beat up their people whip their sheep every Sunday and stuff. I, I don't know why they do that, because they're one-trick pony and that's all they got. I, I want to, you know, speak the way the Bible speaks. And I think here, in this passage, it's kind of challenging us. I think the writer's challenging those who he's, who he's writing to. Hey, I'd like to tell you about this. I wish you weren't so dull of hearing. I wish you would, you know, be able to grasp some of these concepts. Well, he will tell us in chapter 7, so he's not saying... Because, you know, you read it here and you think like, well, I want to know. <laughs> but the, he, the writers to the Hebrews, they don't want to know. Or they're, they're lazy, so we're not going to get the benefit of that. We will. It's called chapter 7. We'll get there. But he's got to build some things into them first before he's able to tell them about Melchizedek. And he says this, for when for the time he ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. You become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. You're babies in this stuff. I want to tell you some like high school stuff, but you guys haven't even graduated kindergarten yet. You're still, you know, working out the, you know, the, the formula from the baba. You're not ready for like, you know, steak and uh, you, 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 you're not. And, and he's using this. It's a metaphor, right? Is that right? Metaphor? It's not an assimile. That's like it, I don't know. It's one of those literary devices, okay? It's, uh, it's a metaphor, I think. Uh, he's saying like, hey, you know, you know, the Word of God, it's, 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 you guys have chew on a really tough verse? I do all the time. There's a, there's a lot of verses here I wrestle with. I teach them and I wrestle with them. But all Bible teachers are like that. Give God the right to be very deep. He doesn't write everything on a first grade level. But there's some stuff that... Look at the, the, the four-year-olds can sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
and they can figure that kind of stuff out. There's stuff that God gears right down to those four, five, six-year-olds uh, among us. Not, I, I don't know that I want a six-year-old to teach on Hebrews. And here he's saying to, hey, you've been around long enough. You ought to be teaching this. And he's not saying that everyone has the gift of teaching or that's what. He says you ought to be able to discuss this intelligently. You ought to be able to, you know, no, listen, if you've been saved for, let's say six months, just for a round number, half a year is round enough. My thinking is you ought to be able to discuss salvation intelligently with somebody who isn't saved. Lead them to the Lord. Well, that's, that's, a thing, that's a function of the Holy Spirit. But you ought to be able to tell them how to get saved, why you're saved. And, and I don't know if the majority of Christians can do that. Now, I don't, I'm not pointing a finger and say, you're, you can do this cable, you need some work. Yeah, I'm not doing anything like that. That's, that's judgmental. Let, let God do that, right, in your own life. But how, how long, you know, it seems like some people have been saved for six months, some 20 years, and you can't tell the difference. Can you tell the difference between a, a driver who's got their license a month ago and someone who's been driving for 20 years? You should be able to, especially in Maine and weather, right? Uh, you, sh you should. Um, we grow in most things. In Christianity, a lot of times we're not. And I think it's a question of lazy. It's not a question of it's not a question of stupid. It's not a question of smart and stupid. By the way, I've said this a lot of times. I know some of the wisest, most incredibly intelligent people who are Christians. And I know some of the wisest, most intelligent, incredibly intelligent people who are atheists. And I know some simple folk who love the Lord and have a really firm grasp of the Bible. And I know some really super intelligent folk who... You know, it's not an intellectual thing is what I'm trying to say. You're really super smart. You grow past the things of the Word of God. That's for the the rubes and the... That's what they say, but it's not so. Here, he's saying, you don't have to be able, be able to teach this, but you need someone to come and teach you again. And he's challenging them. Why, why, why can't I talk to you about Melchizedek? You're... I wish I could. You guys are like still eating. You're not even ready for solid food yet. And solid food is really for those who are older, right? You just don't, you never think to get, you know, a, a baby who's a month old, carve up a T-bone, shove it in their face. Bad things would happen, right? We allow babies to be babies of... Um, Change the diapers of uh, grandchildren a couple times. I'm not exactly sure about that. Look, conceptually, I've changed the diapers of uh, grandchildren, right? I probably have. I'm not exactly sure. So let's say when my, my, my granddaughter was a, a year old, you know, she had a, a full diaper, and Sue's wasn't, she was at the store, and it was, and I couldn't wait, so I had to, Take care of that. Let's just say that happened. I'm pretty sure at some point it must have, right? Yeah. Now she's 13. At one it was, you, you, you don't expect them to be housebroken at months old or year old. 
at 13, you kind of do, right? That's the point. In Christianity, it's like, really? You're supposed to be a teacher of this stuff, and you're still, you're still on milk? And, and, and the, the writer, he's, he's challenging them. Everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Um, he says the same thing to the Corinthian church. Really? After all this time, how come you're still on milk? Now, by the way, we need milk or vitamin D or some of the things that milk supplies. We never grow out of it, and I still think we need the basic things of the Word of God. But if that's all your diet, that's... You, it, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, discern both good and evil. I was thinking about this a lot this week, this uh, discerning of good and evil. What's right and what's wrong? Well, the better question is who has the right to say? Once we've taken, eaten of the forbidden fruit and we have the knowledge of good and evil, they don't give that back. As a matter of fact, we know a lot better than God would ever know about what's right and what's wrong. You don't believe me? Just watch the news. Just watch the pundits. Just watch the talking heads. You know, um, God, <laughs> he just thinks it's two genders. <laughs> what does he know? And we know now there are, and who knows, they're up to 53 or some last time I knew. Crazy, right? God said, no, I made them male and female. <laughs> no, nah, we've, we've eaten of the fruit. We ain't giving it back. We ain't, we ain't giving up that. I was watching on one of these man in the street interviews. Uh, Christians had done it, and I was on YouTube this morning. And they were talking to a young lady, her atheist, guy and he was just mouthing off and stuff but she was trying to be serious and have a conversation and the guy said it's because the concept of somebody outside of you saying what's right or wrong is is terrifying to you and boy he struck a chord and I was thinking that's exactly it and she said yeah I, I think I think that is she didn't want to yield that to somebody else this is what we're looking at here we 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 don't discern good and evil. The, the pundits, the talking heads, the news, they don't discern good and evil. Why? They're not even up to milk, never mind meat. They think they're the arbiters of what's right and what's wrong. And it's a sliding scale, and they can change it at will. And not only do they think that what's right and what's wrong, they don't let you think what's right and what's wrong anymore. You have to celebrate gay lifestyles and do we get this woman marrying this woman and this man marrying this man and this man who's a, becoming a woman marrying a woman who's becoming a man and we got to celebrate it we got to we not we can't even be ambivalent about it we can't say yeah whatever live and let live you know whatever they no 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 we have to celebrate we have to go to there if we're uh um asked to attend we have to attend we have to bring a gift and we have to pretend like this is the most wonderful thing that ever happened and matter of fact we as a clergy have to pronounce them man and wife or man and man or trans and bi or whatever we have to do. And we can't even say no. It would be against the law. By the way, I've said this and I've said this and I've said this and I've said this. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to participate. And if I end up in jail, I end up in jail. If I have to pay a huge fine or whatever, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not playing. Somebody reached out to me and they asked, asked me if they'd 
if we, I marry them, somebody who I, did, I don't know, it, it, it came by email. And my answer was, I'd love to sit and talk with you and your fiancé about, about that. I got another email asking me about how much I charge. And when I <laughs> wrote back, I, I don't. I haven't heard another. Because I think they're trying to financially offer me, you know, I say, well, I'll charge X amount, right? And then when the deal is struck and then I meet them, I have to, because we've entered into a contract, you know, kind of, I think. But I, I kind of, you know, I have that, hmm, this doesn't smell quite right. You know, if you ask me to marry you, you never even met me or you don't go to church here. Forget about it. And the answer is, you know, I'm not going to have, I won't even marry a Christian with a non-Christian. So never mind. To, okay, you, were you born male? Are you planning on staying that way? Are you born female? I'll, I'll, I'll happily, happily do it. But we can't. My point is like, so they're saying what's right and what's wrong, and we can't even have our own opinion. They shut us down and call us haters and homophobes and then the nastiness and all the... What happened to civility in America? I don't know. Chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. This will we do if God permit. Now, wait a second. That is a hard verse. I want to tell you it's the hardest verse in Hebrew so far. I think. Let's, let's leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ, and you're saying, what? <laughs> we want a what? He's, I think he's talking about the fundamentals, the rudiments, the basic things, because he just challenged them. You bunch of milk drinkers, let's go on to some heavy-duty stuff. So he's saying, let's leave this fundamental stuff behind, and this is the introduction, it's a transition to, uh, okay, these are things i got to tell you about that i got to tell you about that i got to tell you about before we get into Melchizedek, because you ain't ready to hear stuff like that yet. So he's, he's saying, let's leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, maturity here, and you might have that in your Bible, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, first story stuff, right? The first thing we ever hear, I mean, John the Baptist, repent, great message, baby steps. I mean, it's the first place we come in to the kingdom of God. We repent of our sins. He's saying, okay, you got that. Let's move past that now uh, from, uh, from dead works and faith toward God because that's where they were. They were at that crossroad. They were working and working and working and trying to earn their salvation. Now he's saying, okay, we repented. We, uh, we exercised faith in God because he's talking to people who are talking about going back or thinking about going back. We, you came through that already. Let's not go back to that. Of the doctrine of baptisms, ablutions, washings is the idea here. Uh, not, and, and even if he's talking about baptism like, you know, John the Baptist baptism, again, he's still talking about repentance. He's still talking about first grade, kindergarten kind of things. Of the doctrine of baptisms on laying on of hands. And now you think laying on of hands, well, that's kind of more you ordain somebody by laying on of hands. Uh, laying on of hands has to do with identification. It has to do with identification all through Scripture. When we lay hands on an elder, lay hands on somebody else, recognize them as elder, we don't build elders. That's what we're transferring, kind of identifying with, yeah, he's one of us. How, do you, how does that work when you're laying on of hands with a lamb at the temple that you're going to sacrifice? There's still identification. And that's always when you think about laying on of hands, think of identification. I'm identifying with this lamb that's about to be slaughtered because the wages of sin is death. And it's all about identification at that point. 
I can go on living because something else died. Substitutionary, that's the whole thing. The doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. We're going we're gonna to live, we're going to stand before God. That's basic stuff. And this will we do, if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. Anyone have a problem with that verse? This is one of the five in, in Hebrews. There's five big warning verses and it's very important that we understand them. Now, again, uh, you can lose your salvation or not lose. One of those things is absolutely true, right? You can either lose your salvation or not. Does everyone agree on that? Okay. And all of us in one of those camps, and some of, them will say, you'll, some of you will say, well, I don't know, I haven't made up my mind. Fine. Okay. I, I, want, you to talk, I want you to see this and, and see what he's saying. Because we have a lot of people who are running around the landscape and they're really worried. We read in the scripture, Jesus says, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you can't recover from that. You can't, that's damnable. One-way ticket to hell there. And then we all go, oh, I wonder if I've done it. And we all get all nerved up. Anyone ever besides me ever worry about that? I'm the only one. How many of you still kind of wondering what that means? Y'all got that? That's good. I still, I've had talks with pastors. I've had talks with Calvary Chapel pastors who still don't quite ha have that. It's concerning to me because I wonder when somebody comes and asks them what they say. And they think blasphemy is like, you know, taking the Lord's name in vain. That's not blasphemy. I mean, don't do that. There's a whole commandment that says don't do that. But blasphemy is like, can I, can I give you a blasphemy? Just for training purposes only. Jesus is not the Son of God. And He's not divine. That's blasphemy. That is absolute blasphemy. You, get, you guys got it? You with me? Okay, it doesn't have to involve cuss words. Now, if we blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that even look like? Well, it looks like the people who are following Jesus around and they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. He would do a miracle. He would take a, a man who has never seen a deaf, mute man or uh, someone who is lame or demon-possessed and he would deliver them from the demon. He would give sight to eyes that had never seen not that someone lost their sight and they got some sort of, you know, cataracts or something and they had the LASIK surgery and now they're all better. Nothing like that. They had never seen anything in their whole life, ever, even ever. And he says, see. And now sometimes there's mud and spit and sometimes there's wash and siloam and sometimes there's just, he pronounces it, but he heals them. And so the people who are, who are not pro-Jesus, they have to come up with a story. Well, they do. He does. He casts out Beelzebub by the power of Beelzebub. Is that true? No, he casts out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you saying the power of Jesus Christ is demonic is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
So how come you can never be saved? It's easy. It's easy. Think this all the way through. Father, save me. And the, God would say, well, have you considered my son Jesus? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And you would say, oh, he's demonic. What else you got? And God would say, oh, well, plan B is, there is no plan B. You're saved by Jesus Christ. And once you think that his works are demonic, how are you ever going to get saved? And that's why there's no recovery from that. And I would say there's no recovery in so long as you have that idea. But once you get rid of that idea, yeah, Jesus is demonic. He's, he's the son of the living God. He's God in the flesh. He came to take away our sins. Oh, that sounds like a Christian. That sounds like me. But going before, stand before Jesus thinking he's demonic, how do you get saved from that? How do you recover from that? So that's what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Well, he writes the same thing. He's, it, look, can I show you? And we're going to rely a little bit on personal pronouns. So I'll give you a good example of this. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians, right? And this is something we all agree on here, or most of everyone in our stripe, in our circles, in our tribe, we agree on. First Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself, verse 16, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Hallelujah. Hope it's today. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's a, a them... And then there's, a, there's an us here. We which are alive and remain. That, who's that? We which are alive and remain. Who's the them? The ones who are the, the dead in Christ who rise first. And it's obvious from the, adju- from the uh, pronouns who's being talked about. Correct? Any argument there? Shouldn't be. It's pretty straightforward. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. But of the times and the seasons, brethren... He's writing to brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as a travail, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of light, and the children of the day. We are not in the night, nor in the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, but they that are drunk and be drunk in the night. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Let's stop there. Well, and for in helmet, the hope of salvation. Let's stop there. There's an us and there's a them all the way through this. Have you seen it? But the times of the seasons, brethren, okay, that's us. Ye have no need that I read unto you. You yourselves know that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now I have people who get all nerved up. <gasps> thief in the night. Oh, you know, like, hey, 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 don't get worried. Is, that a, uh, is a thief in the night at your house a big problem? Not if you're a light sleeper and you have a security system and you've got a gun in your bedstand. It, it can be very traumatic to some people. Uh, you know, especially as someone who's old, living alone, they got no dog, they got no security system. Intruder at night could be a very hairy, scary thing, right? You get that? It's like a thief in the night, but, well, uh, that should be very scary. Well, yeah, I understand, says Paul, but when they shall say, now all of a sudden it's they. Is it us? No, it's they. 
They're the ones saying peace and safety. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them. The, the big argument in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when is this going to happen? This, what we call the rapture, this resurrection event. When is it going to happen? Well, I want you to understand, there's a them and there's an us. I'm comfort you, comforting you with these words because I say it's going to happen before the tribulation. And that, I think, is the clear preponderance of Scripture. Not for everybody. There's a them. And they're going to say peace and safety. What's going to happen? Sudden destruction is going to come upon them. You? No, them. So we don't care about thieves in the night because there's a themness to that. There's not an usness to it. It's, it's going to be like travail upon a womb with child. Uh, it's going to be like birth pangs. They, sh- they won't escape. Okay? Who won't? They won't. You got it, right? You see where we're going with this. But ye, brethren, you're not in the darkness. What are you worrying about thieves tonight? You don't even live in the darkness. That the day should overtake you as a thief. He just said it. That, that, what are you worried about thieves tonight? You, you, you're of the day. You're of the day. Don't, don't even get nerved up about that. You're children of light. You're the children of the day. You're not in the light, nor of darkness. Let, therefore, let us not sleep. Don't act like them. Don't, let, don't you sleep. And he's talking about spiritual sleep. I mean, he's not talking about not getting your full nights. The, our, our sleep is, in God's eyes, a precious thing, we're told. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. That's the day and the night analogy, okay? For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that are drunken are drunk in the night. And, but let us who are of the day be sober. We're not drunk, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a, a helmet, the hope of salvation. Do you understand us and them? Now, let's go to Hebrews, because I think we're going to see this again. Not as obvious, but I still think they're talking about an us and a them. It's impossible for those. Now, who are we looking at first? We're looking at those. Now, if you put in us and those, I think it's already, you've kind of didn't read this real good. It's impossible for those who are once enlightened have tasted the heavenly gift who made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That sounds like a Christian, a Christian, and a Christian, you would say. I agree. There's, very, there's language here that would almost make it sound like those are us. But I think he's not. I think there's those are those. And here's the thing, because we would read this. It's impossible for those who are once enlightened, that's us, tasted the heavenly gift, that's us, who made partakers of the Holy Ghost, that's us. Right? And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. We've tasted the good word of God. We've tasted uh, uh, the powers of the world to come. We have a vision of heaven, uh, an idea that it's going to be a wonderful place and a wonderful time. If they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance. What, what if they, it's impossible is what he's saying. If you believe that these, those who fall away have partaken of the heavenly gift, uh, have experienced the Holy Ghost, all these things he's saying. First, if you're going to be of that stripe, I want you to understand something. No, you don't, you don't come back from that. He says it's impossible. Okay? So with all your figuring, figure that. It's impossible for those who are once enlightened. Have tasted. This means something, though. It doesn't mean nothing. Okay, so I'll explain what I think exactly what it means. They're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. And by the way, can you be a partaker of the Holy Ghost without having the Holy Ghost come to live inside of you? I think many did in Jesus' ministry. Every time he cured somebody of something, they became partakers of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives where they saved. Some were and some weren't, I would say. Were any in the crowd 
calling for his blood on I, crucify him. I, I don't know that. He's saying, well, hey, if he delivered me from a demon, I think that would... But I, he's delivered us from a lot of things. Does that keep us on a straight and narrow? God's worked in our life. Does that mean we're faithful till the time we die? Uh, if they shall fade away, fall away, to renew them again in repentance, seeing they crucify themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. What does that mean? Uh, pretty much what it says. Look, if, if this means Christians lose their salvation, there's no way to get them resaved if you would believe the Bible literally. And you say, well, okay, they, they partake of the Holy Spirit, they get this heavenly vision, they, and, and then they fall away. But if they get like born again again, or if they get saved, or if they repent, I guess is the best word, then now they're in again. And I know that's a very common teaching. It's even common in Calvary Chapel circles. It really is. Um, you know, saved, and then kind of fall away, and then saved again, and then fall away again. But I always look at it as, you know, born again, lost, born again, again, lost, born again, again, again. I don't look at that with my own self. I know the verses. I know this verse. I know what it says. My thinking is like, if I sin against my father, my earthly father, he's still my father. Maybe we ain't speaking. Maybe I'm avoiding him. Maybe I don't call him and we don't establish that close contact. I do think we need to clear the air. But he doesn't have to adopt me or write me back into his will or reclaim me as his son. I don't think those relationships have changed at all. We don't even have a word for it. We're adopted into the family of God. If I said unadopted, I just coined a word that doesn't exist anywhere. And so, but that's the teaching. And if you are of that stripe, okay, I know the verses you look on, like verses like this. Here I'm, I'm, he's saying, listen, you've got, you've got, leave behind all that basic stuff. C- come on to this kind of second story stuff, okay? And let's, let's talk about this. Now, you, you really want to go back to that system? How are you going to get saved? How are you going to save from that? Uh, I, I, I'm done with Jesus. I'm going back to the way it was. I renounce my faith in Christ. I'm, gonna be, uh, I'm going back to the temple sacrifices, uh, we're going to do Passover, I'm going to do Yom Kippur, I'm going to do all that, and uh, I'm all done with faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, you pronounced, you, you said you were saved, you said you were one of us, you, you pronounced faith in God. How are you going to, don't you see you're crucifying the Son of God afresh and you're putting Him to an open shame? Listen, there's always a choice. Jesus or the things that you were involved in before. Don't turn back now. He's making a very compelling case. I think there's a themness to it. I think there's a thoseness to it. Uh, look at verse 6. If they fall away. Uh, I'm just, I, I, I just think he's talking about ones who, uh, is it, 
impossible for Christians to fall away from the things concerning God. I'd be a fool to say otherwise. We say it all the time. Well, don't, don't pay attention to your lying eyes. Let's listen to what I have to say about it, right? No, we see it all every day of the week. But there's a remedy. Don't do that. Don't turn back from the things of the Lord. Don't. You know, the good old days when I was drinking and drugging and chasing skirts. Oh, man, that was... A, Really? Are you? <laughs> so, the, because, it, Adam, you're saying this isn't talking about Christians who lose their salvation. <laughs> At the end of the day, you have to believe what you have to believe. I don't think that, but I think it has a message to me. Don't go back to that. That was a miserable way of living. I got saved from something. Uh, you know, I was, I was like this sinner wrapped up in sin my whole life was trying to feed the flesh which by the way is insatiable and is never ever satisfied oh that was so fun back then you're a moron you don't your brain doesn't work i'm a moron i'm not saying you're a moron i mean if you believe that right i was i was a slave to sin and now i'm a free man serving god and i don't go back into slavery i don't think so and this is what it's telling me. I'm not, listen, I told you this before, pray for me. I'm just like you. I have the same temptations you have. I, I, I think the same thought process you think. And every time I have to come up with a, no, no, that's a lie, Satan. I ain't going, I ain't playing. I understand you're trying to enslave me. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. My life now looks like something. I love worshiping Jesus Christ. I love God. I love everything about God. You, you're talking about feeding the flesh. Well, that, that's an unending cycle that never goes anywhere. I never, I, I remember, I, I don't have a lobotomy. I remember it wasn't wonderful. It wasn't the good old days. It was horrible. And my life was full of doubt and fear. I said this before, the, the, the righteous are as bold as a lion. The unrighteous, they're running away even when nobody's chasing them. I, I ain't going back to that. Living for the Lord is the only way. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing, it's only good in my life. My relationships are better. My, my marriage is better. My, my being my, a dad to my uh, kids is better. Being grandpa is better. Being everything about my life is better. My work ethic is better. And you want me to go back to being sir, and, and just live for the flesh? Get out of here, I ain't doing it. So pray for me because, listen, I want you to pray for me while I'm still here, pastor of the church and preaching and teaching. I want you to pray for me. Oh, Adam, oh, I remember when he was faithful to things of the Lord. Now his marriage is dissolved and he's taken up with that floozy. And I, I don't want you to pray about stuff like that for me. I want you to pray that we stay faithful and pray for that one to each other because Satan, he seems like he's picking us off one at a time. I talk about the church and the Christianity. There are people who are, are doing this. They've tasted. They've, they've, they've been made partakers. They've, they, were, they, they were once enlightened, and they do fall away. And that's obvious to all of us. Uh, for the earth, which um, we'll, we'll end here, for the earth that drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meet for them by whom it is dressed, receive blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. What is that? Wait a second. Uh, agriculture? Yeah. He's just making a point. Okay. Thorns and blessing. And that's kind of the outcome of what we're talking about here, right? Figure this all the way out. 
I'm, I'm leaving Christ. I'm going back to the way things used to be. Uh, that's thorns. That's briars. That's rejectable. Don't go there. Um, drink of the blessing of God, as it were. Receive the blessing uh, and on all the, the meat, the herbs and, and stuff like that goes with it. Beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. Now it's you again. And things that accompany salvation, though we speak thus. Now, I know we enter in the middle of a kind of a thought here. That's, that's my problem with this whole book. You know, we're always in the middle of a thought. We'll pick this up next time. Um, and I'd be happy to entertain any questions after if, we did, if I didn't cover this thoroughly. Uh, but let's stand, let's pray. And uh, our boy uh, Caleb, which by the way means dog. Did you know that your name means dog? He knows. You're reading the baby book and it always says faithful. Yeah, I get it. You know, who's more faithful than a dog? But his name means dog. Come on up. Come on up. Um, he of the good hair, Caleb. It's a, I, who doesn't want a head of hair like that? I'm just saying. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, I know it's tough sledding here. But Lord, we just want to drink up your blessing, as it were. We don't want to go back to the thorns and briars days. Help us be faithful to you our whole lives. Well, I, I, I don't worry about my salvation. I asked you to save me, and you did. And Lord, now you keep me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I, I can't even pretend to have need, Lord. You've blessed me before and behind and, and throughout my life and in every hand, I, every way I turn, Lord, there's more blessing. You're a good God. You've given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Lord, why would any of us turn back? Help us, Lord, to maintain, to be faithful, to, to see things the way they really are. Lord, we've put our trust in you. We thank and praise for this great salvation. Bless us now. In, in Jesus' name, amen. It is our desire to get God's word out to all, so our podcasts and everything else downloaded from our website is free. But we do have expenses. And if you feel led to give a dollar for this resource, please go ahead and click the Give tab on our website at plowboyministries.org. Grace and peace. And everything I want out dear, I count it all as long.